Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from LCP Delta, the new energy experts. In the podcast, we'll be exploring how the energy transition is unfolding across Europe through conversations with guests from the leading edge of the transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. If the energy crisis has a positive, then it's probably that there's never been a better time to help customers to reduce their energy bills and invest in energy efficient products and services. Energy retailers are arguably in a unique position to support customers to do this. But many energy retailers have struggled over the years to develop successful businesses around supporting their customers in this way. And from my perspective, quite a few haven't stepped up as I thought they could to help their customers through the energy crisis. So today I'm very excited to be talking with Andrew Middleton, MD at British Gas Zero, part of Centrica, one of British Gas' largest energy retailers. Hello, Andrew. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, and thanks for joining. Andrew, can you describe in a nutshell what British Gas Zero is and what your role is at British Gas Zero? Yeah, absolutely. I'll maybe just start with British Gas uh, for any any listeners beyond the UK. Um, so British Gas is, is one of the UK's leading suppliers of energy and related services. Uh, we, we supply energy to about 7 million homes in the UK. Uh, our engineers are in 3 million homes a year, primarily installing and servicing heating systems. We also have Hive, which helps about 2 million homes uh, reduce their energy consumption and heat, heat and power their homes more efficiently. My role is uh, to lead British Gas Zero. We're a new business unit which has the sole mission to help customers reduce both their energy bills but also their carbon consumption. Yep. And our business unit um, installs, manages and supports a range of, of kind of technologies that support that agenda, you know, be that EV chargers, heat pumps, solar panels and, and smart home technology. And is it both... all uh, B2C, Andrew, in terms of residential customers? No, so we uh, we span both uh, the private sector, um, but also public sector, where we utilise our PH Jones brand. It's a uh, social housing engineering business. Um, so we sort of operate across those three brands: British Gas, Hive, and, and PH Jones. Yeah. Okay, but homes rather than commercial buildings, and exactly, totally focused. Uh, we are within within British Gas Zero on um, the UK housing stock. Yeah, and Andrew in. British Gas, is, as you say, you're already in 3 million homes. Hive is in 2 million homes. You've got lots of engineers. So is this bringing together a lot of existing capabilities into a, providing new focus and energy, for want of a better word for that? Is it doing that and adding on new things? Or is it creating something brand new outside of what's already being done? Yeah, we're probably in that middle bucket. Um, it's a it's a really interesting mix, actually, of some some mature businesses, P and Ls, so you know Hive, PH Jones, quite mature businesses, as well as some kind of growth space for us, building on you know our existing capabilities in terms of brand, in terms of our heating network, uh, our sort of heating engineering workforce, but also our our links in with SMEs up and down the country who we work with for the energy company obligation, for example. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what's the, so bringing things together, adding some new things, putting a new wrapper around that, uh, if that sounds sounds the right way to describe it. Um, why now? What's, what, what's the spark behind it? So I guess, you know, British Gas, we, we have been on hand 
to support the UK through every previous energy transition, be that the introduction of gas lamps in in London 200 years ago, be it the rollout of the, the gas network decades ago. And we are determined to do so again during this climate crisis. And I firmly believe we are in a climate crisis. And you know, I know within the industry, we're sort of uh, we're primarily all here to help try and solve that. Um, but I think it is important to kind of remain connected to that. Um, and I'm constantly being uh, stopped in my tracks, actually, when we see new bits of data, which which paint that really stark picture of the climate crisis. As you mentioned in the introduction, the energy crisis we've been going through over the last 18 months has brought energy consumption right into the forefront of consumers' minds. Um, there's a stat I saw where pre-energy um, crisis, consumers were, were thinking about energy for an average of seven minutes a year. If you think about like how often and how regularly it's been on the front page of, of yeah. newspapers over the last 18 months. It's a lot more than know. seven minutes now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. never has there been sort of more focus and attention. And certainly our research says that there's a huge amount of awareness of net zero and alignment behind the ambition but consumers don't know where to start. Yeah. So, you know, our average customer doesn't really understand how the thermostat works. And so as an industry, when we start talking to them about micro generation and demand side response, yeah. like they don't it's just foreign, switch off. Foreign language, like, yeah. Totally. They're they're kind of really intimidated. And I guess And if you're intimidated and confused, then you don't do anything because yeah. Totally. And then, yeah. you know, on top of that, you've got a media that is increasingly polarized and, you know, like essentially we've got two camps of uh media stakeholders one camp saying that heat pumps are going to solve world peace one camp saying they're going to create world war three uh-huh. and there's not much in the middle yeah. um yeah and so i guess what we're looking to try and do for that kind of huge incumbent customer base is cut through simplify do some of that heavy lifting and provide the right tailored advice we don't think there's any sort of one size fits all approach yeah, yeah. and but, so yeah and you can do that from that established brand i was going to say tr- trusted brand and i think british gas is trusted it's maybe not gets knocked in the media maybe not every customer loves british gas but it's an established and trusted yeah um, and i think there's an important distinction between you know the engineers that are in customers homes and the yeah. corporate entity that you know yeah. will hit the headlines and um you know yes lots of customers will trust their local tradesperson um but equally we know that millions of customers trust that british gas uh, man or, or a lady and so um providing that one-to-one guidance and advice i think is really critical to us trying to move this agenda forward okay thanks andrew I'll come back to you in a sec i'd like to introduce now my second guest been on the podcast a number of times lcp delta colleague and expert nigel timperley Hello, Nigel. Hello, John. Hello, Andrew. It's nice to be here. Um, Nigel, you've been doing a lot of work recently on what I think you call the energy energy retailer of the future. And you've also been in this area for, well, is it it's decades? Since the, last century, right? since the last century is what since I used to last say. Century, we'll, we'll just so. leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm interested in, first of all, can you describe in a nutshell your vision of an energy retailer of the future? And then secondly, once you've done that, 
how what Andrew's described at British Gas Zero, how that fits into your framework. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, we, we we have been doing a lot of work in this area recently, and um, with a specific residential focus, actually. Um, and in a sentence, we believe the transition is going to turn energy suppliers into energy managers. Um, the the traditional energy supplier business model is antagonistic or adversarial. Um, there's a perverse incentive for suppliers to encourage customers to consume more because the more they consume, the richer the supplier gets. Whereas that's inconsistent, inconsistent with today's goals to, to reduce consumption, improve energy efficiency, cut carbon, and, and indeed protect customers from, from price volatility, uh, which, which has been a real issue over the last couple of years. Um, that Indeed, we think you can characterize the entire energy transition, certainly the downstream transition, as a change in the customer's experience. So, so today, customers are scarred by volatility. They want to do something about carbon. They all, they also want, and they also want to deal. They also want to deal digitally with their supplier. Whereas in the future, you know, we believe they want to be back in control. It's about autonomy and about having control over their energy prices because at the moment they feel out of control. Um, and and so that's the sort of change in customer experience. And and to do that, the energy supplier will become an energy manager and collaborate with customers. And that's where I do see an overlap with what a very strong overlap with what Andrew's doing, because essentially it's about giving the customer the tools to, to, to make that transition, to go on their own unique personal energy transition. So managing volatility, um, energy management in reducing demand or increasing efficiency or generating your own. And empowerment was the third thing you said in terms of helping to equip customers with the the tools, the expertise to to drive that forward. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we talk a lot at Delta about um, engagement, empowerment, and collaboration as a sort of logical a logical journey. So engagement starts with understanding from the customer understanding their consumption, so they can do something about it. Empowerment is about taking action. And collaboration is this sort of co-creation of the future, whether instead of this antagonistic relationship where I win, you lose, very commodity sales-based, together in this future, the energy manager works with the customer to co-create their new energy future. Yeah. Okay. Andrew, how does Nigel's vision align to your thinking? Are there similarities? Are there any differences or different emphasis? Yeah, no, I think there's um, a lot of... Uh, alignment there I think the empowerment word is crucial actually because you and, and Nigel touched on autonomy um, and there's a really fine balance to be struck I think and this is where like you know we can take lessons from the journey Hive's been on for example where you know in a way Hive is doing all those three things that Nigel's described in terms of helping engage customers and in, in terms of their use, usage empowering them to take action but we're not leaving customers on their own, right? And so actually, because of the way the energy system works, um, it's complex, right? And actually, for the average consumer, they do need that complexity simplified. And so the more that we can do the heavy lifting in the background that they don't need to worry about so that they are empowered to um, take the actions, make the decisions that are important to them, the better. And so I think it's that balance between like removing the complexity in the background, doing some of that heavy lifting, 
in order to simplify for, for customers on the front end, I think is really, really crucial. And then collaboration is a word I'm really passionate about. And the beauty of a mission like ours in terms of helping reduce energy bills and carbon consumption is like it's a shared mission. It's quite hard to argue with that, right? And so a big, big part of what I try and do is build the strongest network of partners to address that mission together. Um, we think British Gas has lots to offer in this space, but we, we definitely don't think we've got all the answers. And so that's why um, we're, we're super committed to building out um, you know, a, a network of, of partners all aligned well, behind yeah. that mission. And Andrew, maybe I, I should, probably should have asked you this earlier. Uh, where are you at with British Gas Zero in terms of when, when was that? brand established how new is this how new are you in the role is this a beginning of something have you been at it for a year yeah no so um i uh hmm. was asked to set the the new business unit up in september of last year it's an internal like we're an internal business unit um within centrica the the brand remains you know british gas plus hive plus plus ph jones they remain the kind of consumer facing brands um but we've been kind of set up with a degree of kind of autonomy and independence uh in order to you know create focus and um drive momentum behind this agenda um because we've clearly got an established large business to run and kind of scaling at the sort of pace that our ambitions have um whilst running an established business is quite hard so um so that's why we've been we've we've created this this new business unit and and um yeah we've been going at it since september Nigel used to work for Eon a long time ago. So energy retailers have <laughs> developed initiatives around this sort of thing before. Um, and I I don't know what you think, Nigel. My view is that a lot of, and this is no reflection, Andrew, on what you're doing, but a lot of energy retailer initiatives like this probably haven't got the traction and that momentum, Andrew, that you talked about that, that you're looking for. No, I think, I think that, I think that is fair. I mean, it's, you know, there have been sort of one or two honourable um, exceptions, particularly amongst innovators, companies like Octopus in the UK, Tibber in Scandinavia, and increasingly outside Scandinavia, in fact, um, where they have moved more to a collaborative model with less emphasis on um, pure commodity sales and more on helping the customer manage their consumption and emissions. Um, Tibber's model is really interesting because they don't profit at all from um, from from me as a customer using any more it's, um, it's a commodity. commodity. Yeah. It's a pass-through. It's a pass-through. Absolutely. Yeah. So you just you just pay a fee to 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 access that service, and 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 their whole model is around selling me tools to reduce my consumption, and then it becomes a credible sell as well because, you know, if 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 I'm selling you something to reduce your consumption while at the same time benefiting from you increasing your consumption, there's clearly a credibility gap. Or you know, th- there the the old why would my energy company want me to use less yeah. energy is a fair old challenge. Tibber don't have that problem. And and as we see commodity sales diminishing, I think that the challenge to energy companies is, do you want to stay there and compete for a shrinking pie? Or do you want to move into this new opportunity space, um, which which Andrew's looking at, clearly? Um, and um, I was interested, Andrew, in something you said earlier on, actually, about, about uh, British Gas's brand, because just describing, you know, in answer to what I was saying, um, 
you know, our vision of, of the energy supplier becoming the energy manager of the future, you could almost argue British Gas are sort of both ends of that in that energy supply it gets tarred with the same brush as, as many suppliers of, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, fat cat energy companies and all that sort of negative publicity. But as you rightly say, at the other end, the British gas engineer has got, who, who's the one providing services, energy management services, they've got very high reputation. They're often uh, called in purely for a benchmark quote um, so that somebody knows, yeah, okay, that's the British gas quote. That's where I work from there. See, you've almost got a schizophrenic brand that represents the two extremes. Does that seem a fair way of thinking about it? I'm not sure, I'm not sure we'd describe it as a schizophrenic brand. Um, I think my um, marketing colleagues would, would uh, have something to say about that. Um, no, look, I think our, so as I say, our, our heritage and the trust that is placed in our brand is pretty hard to compete with if i'm honest like there are Mm. no like i know of no other brands that are welcomed into consumers homes at the scale that we are and that is um a privilege that we take very seriously um so we are very proud of proud of the brand um you know we don't always get everything right and you know there are headlines associated with that and and you know we can be quite an easy um sort of target i guess when the sector is under the spotlight um Mm. but uh but you know we we take on that responsibility and i think one of the things um that i am conscious of and i guess that i've observed since taking on this role in September and I'm, I'm not an industry veteran, uh, you know, I've been, I've been with British gas for about two and a half years prior to that. I was at EasyJet for um, mm. seven or eight years. Um, there are actually loads of similarities between the businesses, um, but they are quite different sectors. But what I've observed is um, when it comes to the net zero agenda and it comes back to the theme of collaboration, the market is crying out for leadership actually. Yeah. And so um, there's a wide variety of stakeholders that have frankly been waiting for british gas to come and provide that leadership on this decarbonization agenda and i agree with you on that andrew i think it's a bit of a it's a bit it's a glaring gap in the market and it's a position that someone can take to be that trusted partner for customers to do the sort of things you described what's in terms of getting you talked about driving momentum what's since September, and you're relatively not new into the sector, but not had several years in it. What's what have you learned so far about the challenge of driving momentum and getting that growth and impact that you're looking for? Yeah, so um, a couple of things. So I guess as we're building a business, one of the things that we you know are looking at as a challenge is where we get scale. And the challenge at the moment we're facing is the lack of demand density. Yeah. So when we're looking at the MCS data in terms of heat pump installs in 2022, I think the postcode with the most amount of heat pump installs was in Argyle on the West Coast. This is a remote part of the West Coast of Scotland. It's which beautiful. Kind of I've been on holiday me. there. It's lovely. <laughs> I've got roots up there. And so, you know, a special place, but it certainly doesn't have demand density right we're talking about a remote part of the country now it's off grid so you know hence why it's one of the places where we're seeing heat pump adoption but 
um, the point is that um, with this lack of density and demand, it's pretty hard to get people to invest in building a strong supply chain to fulfill that demand. And you get into this sort of, you know, chicken egg, chicken egg, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so I think demand density is definitely something that we're focused on, which is where some of the different segments come in, like social housing, um, like the new build uh, segment. And so I think, you know, we're certainly looking at those as, as opportunities to, to build out scale and, and build some of that demand density. When it comes to the um, consumer segment, um, retrofit segment, the kind of two big challenges we face, I think, are the economics. So the sort of total yeah. cost of ownership and um, where we are with solar, for example, like the, the return on investment for a household, like is pretty compelling. Uh, it's a quite straightforward, evidence-based um business case and it's low know, risk it's straightforward exactly. to install you're not ripping up floorboards yeah so so you know i think we're, we're sort of seeing the results of that in terms of adoption whereas with heat pumps and this is something we're working on we don't have a i don't think we've got a strong enough public point of view on it um yeah but but we're, we're trying to build the evidence before we kind of go above the line on it is like demonstrating that there is a compelling economic case for households to retrofit and so, you know, that's where we, again, I think we can benefit from bringing together the energy supply side, the hive kind of home energy management and yeah. kind of insight and analytics plus the um, engineering capability. So, so it's that whole affordability space. And I think that's where, you know, again, we're expecting to lead um, innovation and disruption. And we're working with with banks on that very topic, right? And I think... What, to, um, fi- to finance the uh, solutions for customers. So remove that upfront cost barrier. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we can look at some of the, the models that have been more successful elsewhere, like heat to service. You know, at the moment, one of the, the challenges there is around the grants only being available, the government grant only being available to people that own their asset. And so yeah. know, that precludes that model. Yeah. But so I think there's going to be innovation in that space. Yeah. Um. And then for me, I come back to this whole notion of like, like it's the engaged part of what, what Nigel was talking about, how we do a better job as an industry of bringing potential customers with us. So we're definitely still in this early adopter space rather than in the early, early majority. Um, and we've still got loads more that we can do. I'm talking as British Gas zero but i think as an industry to simplify what we're talking about make it really clear demystify it um and myth bust there's so much myth propagation yeah. going on yeah. uh, andrew can, can i just sort of through something in that bit is you know with british gas zero um I mean, there's lots of good stuff going on there but um is there a risk that you know, there's a missed opportunity. I, I, I don't know enough about what you're doing, so this is where you can tell me how wrong I am. But um, you've talked a lot there, essentially, about domestic energy services, which are all good things, you know, we're, we're huge fans of. But we think there's value to be had in sort of meshing that with with um, supportive tariffs, actual supply tariffs. So, um, uh, again, I referred to Octopus earlier on. If you look at something like their heat pump offer, it's meshed with their octopus cozy time of use tariff, which has very cheap 
charging periods between, I don't know, 4 and 7 a.m. or something, or 2 and 5 p.m., both of those. So you can charge up um, and, and that improves the business case for the customer by um, allowing them to exploit uh, cheap overnight power. Um, so, so we believe that tariffs and energy services together are potentially mutually beneficial. Um, is, is that something you're looking at or thinking about? Yeah, no, absolutely we are. Um, and I agree with most of what you say. But the one thing I would, would kind of question is that it, it might help the unit economics. And I think that's what, where I talk about the work that we're doing on evidencing yeah. the right business model, business case at household level, which includes supply tariffs, Yeah, which might be a time of use tariff, but it might not be because that right. actually might be counter to the efficiency of the, the heat pump. Yeah. And so it's, it's that that we're, right. I guess, investing time in making, in trying to get right. And so, yeah, like I think I, I totally believe that the run costs of a heat pump are going to be the the competitive battleground. Now that might come through tariff. It might come through design. Like you know, actually, if you can out design the competition, that yeah. might create competitive advantage. It might um, come from a thermal store, and yeah, lots of ways. Yeah. So um, we're definitely doing lots of that work. Um, and I guess you know. In this example, Octopus have done a good job of getting their experiment out into the public quicker than us. But um, you know, we're, we'll we'll be um... not too far behind. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, Andrew, you talked about demand density, and I can see the challenge, but I can see how you work your way through that. Um, you talked about you talked about economics of retrofit and the discussion just now around tariffs and how they work together. And again, I can see the path through that. The third area you mentioned was engaging customers, moving beyond early adopters, taking customers on a journey, I guess. So how far along that journey are you? Is there still a lot more to learn there? Or have you got quite clear ideas that you're close to bringing to market? Um, so we, I think we're like moving forward with good pace on that front, but we've still got a load of... Um, room for improvement and there's a couple of things that we've done um that i think are um helping so i've spent most of may away from home um my wife doesn't thank me but um <laughs> we've been doing road shows in village and town halls in some quite remote parts of scotland actually um where we are taking some of this kit so we've got a heat pump we've got solar panels we've got a battery We've taken them to village halls. We've set up for three days, and we've just invited local residents to come and have a chat to us about it. There's no like, there's no intent to sell stuff in the room, and um, it's very much about education. Um, and we're really borrowing the model that we adopted when we were helping roll out the gas network, where you know we invited local residents to come in and learn about this topic. And so we brought our experts um, and invited local residents. We had really surprised by like how long people were spending with us so on average there were people in there for probably like 45 to 50 minutes they were interested they were engaged yeah and they're coming with a decent level of kind of what i would describe as superficial knowledge and an appetite to learn more and it's that kind of discovery phase that as an industry or certainly as british gas that we're not used to having to operate at that level because 
people know how it, well they don't know how a boiler works but they're used to buying a boiler they're used yes. to buying energy and so there's not a discovery phase in the same way that there is here um yeah so that's one thing we're doing the second thing that we've done is we've launched our home health check um so i guess through the energy crisis we saw um a huge um number of online calculators and kind of tools being launched to help customers identify ways they might be able to lower their energy bills which is great as a starting point but they are generic right and so what our home health check is about is getting an energy efficiency advisor into the home to have a one-to-one conversation with customers about their personal circumstances so their home their occupancy their behaviors and help them what we leave them with is you know a personalized plan which could just include behavioral change it could include some small investments things like a smart thermostat it might might involve bigger investments like insulation or yeah so it might get them on that it might get them on that journey on that path exactly yeah yeah keeping on the clock time as always is getting the better of us (laughs) so uh let's bring out the talking new energy crystal ball and i'm going to set the dial this week to just three years time uh 2026 and i were chatting before i think predicting short predicting the long term can be very easy <laughs> predicting the short term can be much harder sometimes um so question for you uh andrew is in 2026 where do you think you'll be at british gas zero and use whatever metrics you think are going to be the right way to describe the growth and momentum you think you'll have achieved in three years and Nigel, similar question for you, but energy retailers in general, and maybe think of it about how much progress will they have made to the vision that you described hmm. or at the beginning of that energy supply for the future. So, Andrew, first to you. Yeah, great. So um, I guess in answering that question, and I want to do it quite personally, if that's all right. Um, yeah. I'm actually going to start by taking you backwards in order to go forward. So I want to take you back to uh, the 26th of January this year, uh, which is a day uh during which i met a a man called matt matt's an architect based up in aberdeen and he's super passionate about doing something about climate change he's massively uh, frustrated with what he perceives to be a lack of action in the face of the climate emergency but he's also got a vision so he wanted to show that with a bit of determination it is possible for us to decarbonize communities and his ambition was to turn his little village, a place called Daviot, which is in Aberdeenshire in the north of Scotland, into a blueprint for decarbonisation. Um, there are 250 homes in Daviot, um, and he's done a great job in in sort of engaging his fellow villagers on, on the climate emergency, but they need help. So that's where our roadshows came in. So our first roadshow was in a place called Daviot in his village mm-hmm. um, earlier, earlier this year, just last month. So we went up to up to Davia. We brought this kit. We've also uh, committed a small amount of funding to help train five volunteers in the community for them to become retrofit assessors. That's a course that costs about a thousand pounds, but you know that's nothing in the yeah. scheme of you know business like yeah. Centrico. So if I take us forward three years to 2026, I want to go back to Davia and I want to stand in that same village hall and I want to celebrate with the residents of that village who. I envisage being the proud owners 
of maybe not 250 heat pumps, but let's say 150 heat pumps. Yeah. Let's say 105 EV chargers and let's say 90 solar panels. Now, Davit might only be a small part of our country, but it's significant for me. That's what is, is part of the world where my granddad grew up, a small fishing village. Um, so I've got roots up there. And I guess my village, my vision is that, you know, Daviet is one of a, a number of small communities where we've helped make a difference locally. We've created jobs for, for people in those villages. We've helped them lower their energy bills. We've helped them reduce their carbon consumption. And, you know, it all starts with, with Matt. One, one follow-up question to that. I, I love the story and I love the vision. Comes back to the density question. How much of this, your journey in the next three years will be through communities, do you think? And how much of it will be the typical B2C non-community? Um, I, your answer would probably be a mix of both, but interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, so it is, we do envisage it being a, a mix. Um, and I would, you know, it's, it's not going to be a third, a third, a third. I don't think, you know, I would expect, you know, maybe like 50, 25, 25 biasing to the kind of um, B2C retrofit uh, space. Um, but communities but we, are then a big part of it then. It's like yeah, it's a significant totally. part of what you're doing. Yeah. And, and, we, and we really believe in a local approach. Um, and so that is going to be a firm part of what we do. And, and when I talked about density being a problem, you don't actually need that many properties. Yeah. To, you know, to create. You need, you density. need a bit of density. Yeah. You don't need super. You need density. a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. Nigel, uh, where are energy retailers going to be in comparison to your vision in three years' time? Um, struggling to follow An- Andrew's answer. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose that takes slightly different tack, which is, you know, we've just, well, appear to be coming out of a two-year energy crisis. Um, We believe that this represents the beginning of a new era, quite seriously. Customers have been traumatized by and scarred by the experience. And and we believe that, that that has that has moved us on. Okay. So, so whereas before sustainability and efficiency were, desirable would now see them as paramount and 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 um, it's great to hear andrew's working on customer education and empowerment totally totally support that um i think there are other other factors though that that will kick in over the next three years uh, digital and ai massive enablers um which you know we've we're doing a lot of work on at the moment and obviously ai in many ways is the technology story of 2023 um and and then the other one that andrew you, you did touch on very much so actually was a, a green finance um what's happening in the banking sector is is very interesting in how the banks have got extraordinary targets and um you know to 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 to, to green up their debt portfolio and and that has profound implications for the energy sector um, so, supported by digital technology, AI, and green, green finance, we believe this new area will 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 witness the develop, deployment of huge fleets of heat pumps and EVs, in particular, um, with with a role for home energy management in that as well to optimise. I, I do think that is a step change. There are cyclical changes in our industry, so but, but, but will I think that step change? Will energy retailers make that 
as well, will the industry as a whole make that step change in three years, Nigel, or will some, or will uh, only a few, or how much of your neck do you want to put on the line? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I, I think it'll split down the middle. I think you'll have those who will see it as an opportunity, who, uh, as I say, a new secular trend, um, and and will and will seize the opportunity uh, in the way that sounds like Andrew's aiming to do, uh, which is great. You know, but yep. the time for hesitation is past, and and. There will be those who don't, they, you know, um, uh, but I think if they don't, there is now more risk in not jumping than in jumping. I think they resist, yeah. you know, the, the tie, tie goes out, they resist, be, they risk being marooned um, and, you know, fighting for a share of an ever, ever diminishing commodity yeah. sales market. Yeah. Okay. Well, if we don't have you back on the podcast, Andrew, within three years, we'll definitely have you back within three years' time. So. <laughs> Look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, we better draw it to close there. Nigel, Andrew, thanks so much for your time and yep. contributions. Um, thanks as always to everyone for listening. And remember to send us ideas for future episodes to talkingnewenergy at lcp.com. You can find updates on our social media platforms, LCP Delta website, and follow us and rate us as well. Thanks very much and speak to you next week. Bye. If you enjoy the podcast, then please rate it and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then you can keep in touch with us and look at our research insights, podcast transcripts, and download reports, all at www.lcpdelta.com. Thank you.